I dealt on Sunday. That was uh, Mrs. Doolin didn't have to eat for a couple of weeks in her house, and uh, Pete took some his own after work hours, went up there and uh, got things working and got uh, all the information that Jeremiah needed to get the parts and to get it all put back together again. So uh, I praise the Lord for brothers and sisters in the Lord that can and uh, can do those kind of things. And uh, I got thinking, I said, I, I would have gone up there and uh, I'd have had no idea what I was looking at. And you don't always have all the tools and all the equipment that you need to make sure that everything is, is as it should be. And me, I'd get it going there and the house would blow up or something. So <laughs> nice to have uh, those who will give it their time along the way. Appreciate that so much. Well, making a comeback part two. Back there, Al. Comeback part two. Making a comeback. And uh, we'll be looking at Psalm 62 and verse 3. And I was not having a stroke last week and I was not sick last week. <laughs> I was doing something extremely unusual. And I was being very methodically slow so that Google could keep up with me. Google uh, may be fast in some things, but it's, it can't keep up with me. That's for sure. So. Anyway, it, was, it made it possible for the translation from English to Portuguese and so that uh, Angela could actually follow along without doing those numbers there and going home and wondering what in the world. So anyway, Psalm 62, verse 3. Begin verse 1. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. Uh, last week or last Wednesday evening, I should say, we opened up Psalm 62, uh, looking at uh, a time in David's life when he was perhaps at his lowest point, uh, being informed that his son Absalom was leading a massive revolt against his own father. And along with Absalom's revolt, David's closest friend, or so he thought he was, uh, was in the center of this insurrection with, uh, his, with Absalom as well. And that man's name was Ahithophel. And uh, David now has to make some important decisions on both how to deal with the insurrection and his own personal emotional response. Uh, you know, sometimes if we're not careful, our emotions get the best of us. And uh, I hate to keep using her, but that's about a break time for me in the daytime and the afternoon evening just before we sit down and have maybe something to eat and judge Judy. But you watch people who assume that their emotions should carry the day. If you know her, it's like Sergeant, what's his name, Sergeant Friday, used to be years ago, remember that show? Dragnet. Uh, and, and people would get emotional when he'd be asking questions. He'd say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And sometimes our emotions get the best of us and we overlook the facts or we don't know all the facts and the emotions carry the day until we find out the facts and then we realize, uh-oh. So David has done a wise thing. He has evacuated uh, the city, as we have already determined, uh, with about 600 of his uh, choice soldiers. And he's going to be looking at the facts. He's going to be gathering facts. He's going to find out really who his friends are and who his friends aren't, who he can count on and who he uh, will not be able to count on. 
And so uh, it would be wise for us to learn that we should gather all the facts before we jump to conclusions because that's what emotions usually do. They cause us to do a quantum leap over the facts and jump right to the emotions. Get the facts and then get emotional. How's <laughs> that? Don't work that way. At least, your, at least your emotions should be guided and directed by the facts of the situation. So there may well be those times in our lives when we may find ourselves having to deal with outward problems that leave us literally bewildered. Sometimes it's we don't know how we're going to handle it. Where in the world is this coming from? Why is it coming at this particular time? And so we become overwhelmed or bewildered. And so the Holy Spirit of God uses this real-life situation in David's life to give us a number of steps that we can and should take when we find ourselves uh, in such a dilemma or dilemmas that we might be facing along the way. So we tackled the first two last Wednesday, and it, for number one, uh, I should say comeback number one, was put things in perspective. That's always important. First of all, we ought not to lose our perspective. And that's what waiting uh, until we get all the facts uh, together and can uh, do an overview of the facts before we get emotionally involved, if you will. And so when we have the facts, we can, the facts will help us keep a right perspective. Amen? So we just read verse 1. But because our perspective of God in relation to our problems will determine who and what we place our trust in. Now, always trust God. God is never going to mislead you. Man will mislead you. But God will never do that. And it may take a little while for God to kind of get through our thick heads once in a while uh, as to exactly what's going on or be able to kind of corral all the facts in so that we can have a proper response to the things that we are facing. And so uh, our perspective of God in relation to our problems will determine who and what we place our trust, uh, where we place, I should say, where we place our trust. Now, remembering the 12 spies who, went, who were sent in on uh, a reconnaissance mission into the Promised Land, and we know that 10 of those spies had a very weak and anemic perspective of God and God's ability. And as a result, the possible became an impossibility in their mind. And, it, that, and that's on top of having seen God part the Red Sea and then going through on dry land. All, all million plus uh, Jews that were leaving Egypt crossing through on that. Uh, the bitter water being made uh, drinkable and so on. The things that God had done for them. Uh, and certainly by the time they got to, to uh, Kadesh Barnea where they were going to send the spies in, then you've got, uh, there was manna that was rained on them. Uh, God provided for them the shoes that uh, the clothes hadn't had worn out. Uh, God had just done so many wonderful and marvelous things for them along the way there. And yet they went into this promised land and they looked around and said, no, not, I don't, basically, I, said, I don't think God can handle this. I don't think God can do this. And so uh, they saw the giants. And that determined their perspective on, the, on, on any possibilities or impossibilities. So we need to, so, so we need to ask uh, ourselves the, the question, what is my perspective of God? So two of the spies had a very strong confidence in God, and they were ready to immediately enter the promised land, and they were ready to take it. Read it in Numbers chapters 13 through 14. They were ready to go instantaneously. Listen, uh, God promised it. He's going to give it to us. So you kind of wonder, where were these people during that wilderness wanderings along the way there? Uh, so we need to ask ourselves this very important question, how big is our God? And always keep that question before us, how big is my God? How do I see him? Secondly, we looked at we need to renew our dependence upon God, verse 2. Uh, we all already have read, sometimes in our lives we lose perspective of God's ability to uphold us, and God sees it as 
necessary or a necessity, if you will, to give us a refresher course. <laughs> and so sometimes you think, well, I, I think I just got the victory over that there a couple years back there, and yet we've kind of let some things slide along, and God has to give us a refresher course along the way. And uh, so our, our complete and total surroundings should remind us that there is nothing that God cannot do. We sing that song, there is nothing that God cannot do. And uh, it's more than a song. It's a reality. It's a truth. There's nothing, there's nothing that my God cannot do uh, according to his character and his righteousness. God will always do the thing that is right. He will always do the thing that is best for us. It may not be what we had envisioned, but God will always do the thing that's best for us. We know that as parents, it was our desire to do the best we could by our children. We, we wanted them to make the best decisions, and if they weren't going to make the best decisions, then we would jump in there as a parent, and we would make that best decision for them, for the most part, especially when they're young and they're just learning about life. So that brings us to the third verse here tonight. Uh, uh, come back. Step number three is that we need to attack our, our fears. One of the greatest things that we have to face is ourselves. And so when troubles begin to assail... We need to be very cautious to whom we turn for advice and counsel, let alone for direction. It is so easy, and, and we find this mostly among young people, but it really depends on where our focus is and, and how we want to experience the outcome. We can seek experience from those who may have been through similar situations, find out how they got the victory or the things that they did that failed and the things that they, they did that worked really well. Young people have this tendency to always select out and to choose friends of theirs who they have an idea think the same way they think. Uh, and I think that may be true of most of us because we, uh, we would, it, it's easy for others to, how do I say that? It's easy for us to make the decisions we want to make regardless of whether it's right or wrong, if we can have someone else who thinks the same way and makes, you know, encourages us, uh, say, yep, if I was in your shoes, that's exactly what I would do. Well, God may be saying, mm, no, that's not, that's not the way to go with that. So uh, there are just those times that we need to put it out before others, whether they would agree with us or not agree with us. And that's important to get someone else's perspective. God's perspective is always the most important perspective. The biblical perspective is the next most important one along the way, and the Holy Spirit's perspective as well. Now, Absalom had been working his evil plan to overthrow his father's throne and set himself up as the king. Second Samuel, if we can just turn there. <clears throat> Second Samuel, chapter 15, looking at verses 1 through 6. And we see the, the, the wicked. Now, it's obvious that not all is well within David's family. He had multiple wives, and now there are multiple brothers and sisters, stepbrothers, stepsisters, if you will. And so it's easy to uh, get crosswise with a lot of things here. So I don't really believe that Absalom and his father had a great working relationship uh, the older he got, and certainly after Amnon uh, had been, uh, Amnon had raped uh, his, his, his uh, Absalom's uh, daughter. Had raped her, yeah, had raped, uh, had raped her. That and David didn't take any steps. I really believe whatever relationship they did have, boy, it went south quickly. It went downhill, and so uh, we know that Absalom rose up and slew some of the uh, 
the, uh, the uh, well, especially uh, Amnon. He was after Amnon. But it says in verse 1, it said, It came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood be beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called to him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, and Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Which basically, by the time you get down counseling, they would probably feel like, Hey, you know what? This guy's not so bad after all. He thinks like I think. And so he would have always kind of, he would have built himself up while at the same time tearing down his father. And so he says there in verse 5, And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, uh, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel uh, that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And uh, he was going to mislead them. He was going to misguide them. And he was going to use them to turn against his father. So Absalom was not God's choice for the throne. It never had been, never would be. Uh, maybe by this time he realized that, uh, that uh, God had already chosen Solomon, uh, the son of Bathsheba, to become the king on the throne. But Absalom was going to do his thing. He said, I'm the oldest. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to make sure that the throne is mine. And so, obviously, Absalom was not God's choice, and yet Absalom had other ideas, and so his rebellion was not only against his father, but also against God. And that's one of the things that David learned early in his life, that he said, I would not raise my hand against the anointed of God. Now, what happens if the anointed of God make bad decisions, they make bad choices, or um, they're not exactly a good testimony uh, about their walk in relationship with God? Well, you know what? Uh, we should remove ourselves from the situation and let God deal with the individual. And I think that's what David's whole point was, that even though King Solomon had turned out, King Solomon, King Saul had turned out to be a not-so-good king with emotional problems, that nonetheless he said, God put him in that office, I'm going to take him out. I'm going, to let, I'm going to let God take him out. I'm not going to take him out. I'm going to let God do that. And God did within his own time. But at the same time, God had to use, God did use Saul to teach David a number of really, really important lessons that he would uh, uh, use as a king, for sure. So there are times that we refuse to seek counsel from certain individuals because we believe that they may disagree uh, with our position, which we already have the idea that God is not in agreement with us either. And so we look to run things by someone who we believe would agree with us, and we kind of move forward with the confidence that, well, you know what, maybe God wouldn't agree, and maybe the preacher wouldn't agree, or maybe my parents wouldn't agree, or maybe my Christian brother or sister wouldn't agree, but I've got someone over here that agrees with me, and I'm going to go with that. So whatever problems the folks were bringing to David, Absalom interceded, uh, Absalom interceded uh, and would give uh, whatever advice served his own purposes and agenda. And that's what a lot of times your friends, your close friends, they may not give you the counsel that you really need. They may give you the counsel that will advance their own, their own relationship with you or their own agenda with you, for sure. So sometimes God would never do, uh, some things uh, God would never do, nor should those who are godly and wise through the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 2 says this, For the Lord giveth wisdom. And so when we're looking for advice, look to those who we believe have wisdom, 
or that they have enough wisdom to know where to look. Because I'll be honest with you, preachers don't have all the answers. Moms and dads don't always have all the answers. Grandparents don't always have the answers. But if they have been in the Word of God, and you know that they're, they're students of the Word of God, and you know that they have been gleaning from the Word of God, and they pray, and they, they pray fervently, uh, they might be just the right kind of people to go to, because at least if they, they don't have the, 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 the immediate confidence to give you the counsel that you might be seeking, they, they can pray with you, and they can say, give me a few minutes here, give me a few hours, give me a few days here, let me research the Word of God and see if we can't get the mind of the Lord on this thing here, and you do the same thing. So then you're working together for a godly solution, which is always, and God's solution may be the same as, as what you've been thinking. But then again, it may not be. And a lot of times we're afraid that his solution may not be, or his answers may not be, the answers that we want or we desire. So Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So, and, and again, I don't know, if you came to me with a problem, I don't know necessarily the outcome. I can give you based on experience that if, uh, well, I've had to do this with my own family from time to time. Um, I've done it here in the ministry as well. <clears throat> that uh, problems that can exist uh, based if you're going to marry a particular individual. Uh, maybe it will say a, a, a divorced guy who has children. I, I, I know that uh, my oldest daughter, Robin, she had met a guy through teaching in the school. Uh, his wife lost the children in a court battle because she was just a, she was just a miserable runaround person. Even her mother testified against her in the family court. He got the kids. Well, he kind of liked Robin. But he had a ministry in a different church was, was to um, call, I think it was called something like divorce recovery. And it, that's a worthwhile ministry so that people can at least recover their relationship and their walk with God. But I had to be honest with him. I said, listen, I said, there's a couple of problems that could rise. I'm just going to tell you up front the potential of all that. And number one was that he's got a ministry that he understands inside and out because he's walked the walk. He's been through them. Is it you have not? So all you can do is kind of be like a Catholic priest who has never been married. Give you a textbook uh, counsel without actually having the experience of having been married or having raised a family. Now, you can give counsel from the Word of God, but also uh, it's also a lot better when you go into someone that you know who has been married and who has raised a family or is raising a family and is using the Word of God as the, the, the text and manual for doing it. And so I said, now... How are you going to be able to relate to these women who are seeking to recover from a from a from a nasty divorce? You've never you've ne you have never walked that you, you never have walked that walk, so you can't possibly fully understand what they're going through. Now, you can commiserate with them, maybe uh, you can have pity for them, but how do you have empathy if you haven't walked that walk? But secondly, I said, when these young kids who are now only in third or fourth grade there, what are you going to do when they get a little bit older and they decide to play uh, both ends against the middle? My mother would this, but you're not my mother kind of a situation. And that could be a real problem down the road. Not only that, I said, supposing she gets her life straightened out and she decides to file suit in court to get the kids back. I said, you really, so basically, you don't have a, you don't have, I had to use the word, but you don't have a dog in the hunt. Uh, but I said, those are just some of the potential problems that, you, that you're going to have to face. Well, he kind of got the idea that I wasn't too happy with it. And uh, they, 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 they separated. And I think a few months later, he was married. So I don't know if he was just looking for, for some of the help and take care of the girls or not. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's not always the... Un, and I'm not going to tell you that, that my Robin was happy with me. But I was her father. 
who had been in the ministry and I had seen problems that can happen, that can arise, and you try to head those things off. Now, I believe if God wanted them to be together, then my counsel would have been negated and they would have been together one way or the other. And uh, God would have worked that out. But we have to be just careful about refusing to seek counsel simply because we may not like seeing things that we're trying to turn a blind eye to along the way. So in this psalm, David is addressing the foolish nature of men who fell in line with Absalom's deceit and self-serving plans. Those who walk with the Lord will not be easily fooled, nor will they be easily duped. And those who study the word of God will not be easily misled by the errant teachers or the crowds that are around. So the reality is so many Christians today are being misled, reasoning that the majority can't be wrong, and so they go along with the crowd. And the truth of the matter is, um, there's a lot of churches out there, and they're decent churches, but they're not separated churches. Uh, they don't practice ecclesiastical separation. They don't practice worldly separation either. Um, and so you have to be careful. And they may reason, well, that's the way we reach the world. Well, in order to reach the world, you really have to dumb down. Uh, those, those churches who usually stand uncompromising on the word of God, uh, they're not going to be usually the biggest churches in town. Now, there are some that do that, and they've been very successful, but many don't. I'm going to tell you right now, here in the state of Vermont, those churches who stand uncompromisingly on the Word of God are not usually very big churches. They're pretty small. Some of it has to do with the demographics, I understand. Some has to do with geographics as well. Uh, but uh, the, the, too much of the world has entered the church, and we've allowed too much of the world to enter our homes. And the only way it enters our homes is because it's entered our hearts first. We usually bring into the home what's in our heart. And so we are either afraid or intimidated into not standing with God and his word that we remain silent. See, a lot of these things that have come to law and have been passed in legislative uh, sessions should never have passed. But there simply weren't enough people who were willing to stand. Take like uh, the issue of, of abortion. There's no way that we should be practicing abortion in the United States of America. And there's no way that anybody who calls themselves a church, C-H-U-R-C-H, with a cross on it, should ever come back to what they say, well, it's compassionate. It's compassionate. Well, you know, I don't want to stand before God with that worldly carnal reasoning. God is a God of love, and he loves that child that's about to be aborted every bit as much as he does the other ones along the line there. Someone's calling somebody somewhere, that my wife. And I was in my house turning my phone off at the house. <laughs> anyway, uh, so um, uh, David wasn't having any of this business of, of Absalom and Ahithophel and what else was going on. Uh, and uh, so the, the phrase in verse 3 says, Ye shall be slain, all of you. Uh, is David taking a strong stand against any fears that he may have entertained? He said, You do what you think you need to do, but I'm standing where God stands. I'm standing with God because I know God's going to stand with me because I'm making the right choices. I'm making the right decisions. And God will stand with us. So if you have to stand up, I'm not saying that we have to be belligerent. I'm not saying we have to be uh, nasty in our stand. But you know what? If they can shoot their mouth off, we can shoot our mouth off too. At least we're going to shoot it off in the right direction. Amen. Uh, they're just shooting a bunch of silliness off. So David had a reputation for being a dangerous opponent. And anyone foolish enough uh, to uh, go up against 
uh, David would pay a high price. 2 Samuel chapter 17, uh, verses 7 through 10. <clears throat> they had come to that conclusion when Absalom had uh, wanted to go after his father, David. It says in chapter 17, looking in verse 7, uh, and Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel had given is not good at this time. For said uh, Hushai, uh, Thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And thy father is a man of war and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit or in some other place, and it will come to pass when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever heareth it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. And he also that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt. For all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. It's a shame that there is no fear in either sense of the word for God, for the word of God, the precepts of the principles in the word of God. And that's why we are where we are today. That's why we have abortion is a main issue with the vast majority of Americans feeling it's okay. At least they're the ones who are making the most noise, I should say. Now, I believe there is probably enough in there, but they don't have the guidance. Uh, they don't have someone standing up, but certainly there should not be a single church in America, anywhere in America at all, that stands for abortions on demand uh, at all. They should be the ones who are screaming the loudest, shaking the tree uh, the hardest, and the same thing with same-sex marriages, LGBTQ plus one and whatever else. I mean, we, we haven't quite run out of the alphabet. We're starting to put numbers in there now along the way. But the truth of the matter is we are at that point there because God's people overall, not just individuals, but overall have not really uh, stood our ground. And there is no fear. Uh, I always used to get a kick out of it when I was in the, we had a bus ministry at Grace Baptist Church in, in Radcliffe, Kentucky. And Saturday was visitation day. You'd go out, you'd walk the routes, you'd knock on the doors. And during the summertime, doors would be open and the screen doors, you'd step up on the deck there, you'd knock on the door and they'd look up, Ooh, the preacher, and the beer bottle wall hit down behind. Today, they could care less. They'd say, hey, come on in, preacher, have a beer with me. You know, come on in, one thing or another. But, I mean, it just seems like the, the, the reverence is gone because the people of God have bent over backwards to accommodate the world. It hasn't worked. America has become more immoral, more so than I think any of us could have ever imagined in our lifetime. Because too many of God's people have not stood their ground. And uh, listen, when people, go by, when people go by here and they see Calvary Baptist, I know what those Baptists stand for. That's good. And it should never be a question about where, where you and I stand, as, as first of all and foremost as a Christian, but secondly, as, as being a Baptist. Should be no no qualms whatsoever about what we stand for, and that's why we're not changing our our name as long as I'm the pastor here from Calvary Baptist to Calvary uh, Bible or whatever else they want to change it, just so we kind of fool people uh, down the line. Now I'm not saying that the Bible Church is not good churches, by the way, but uh, I've been told that if you just change the name, in fact, I know a preacher in Moscow who they they tried to convince him, and they did convince me eventually take the name Baptist off your church, and you you'll probably grow. Well, he, he changed the name of the church. I asked him a couple months later, so I said, how are things going? He said, nothing's changed. Folks, we should never ever be ashamed of who we are. We should never be ashamed to stand for God. And we should never be ashamed to stand our ground. And so the idea he simply is here that uh, uh, we should stand strong on the word of God. 
and even our walk with God and his presence in our lives should cause God's enemies to be weary about messing with us. Amen? Now, we, I, sometimes we wish we could kind of say, Lord, lightning bolt right there. Right there. Then have him go down and wipe them all out there. But, folks, when you think about it, we're the lightning bolt. We're that lightning bolt. We're the ones supposed to be doing, doing the standing there. Let them know in no uncertain terms. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13 says, Watch ye, watch ye, and stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, and be strong. And so we have to be strong. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. If you believe it, then stand up. Uh, I don't think, uh, I don't even think the devil has any respect for a Christian who won't stand up for what they believe. Now, he'll do everything he can to intimidate any Christian who is strong in the faith, strong in their walk. He'll try to intimidate them. But if he can get you to roll over, he has no respect for you. And so Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, the apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we stand, we stand in his power and we stand in his might. Now, what is his power? What is his might? Truth. Truth is our power. Truth is our might. We speak the truth. All those other characters out there, they'll lie to your face. And so God never meant for us to roll over and to play dead where his truth is concerned. We don't have to be belligerent in the process, but we need to be firm in our convictions and strong in the faith. And we need to stand, even if it's family members. Now, we don't have to go out there necessarily and alienate. Uh, it's not usually very long before we get a reputation among our unsaved family members anyway, uh, who would simply say, well, yeah, you know, invite them, we're going to get into this conversation and these heated debates and my wife will oftentimes warn me not to get in some of these debates with some of my brothers and sisters along the way there, uh, family members. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to stir the pot once in a while. <laughs> once in a while. Uh, but, uh, again, it's not a matter of being belligerent. It's just a matter of that, that being strong. And usually conversations will roll around where we have to make a stand and we should make a stand. So when facing our enemies, we need to, we need to be decisive. We need to be determined. And at times we may have to be aggressive. Because if they think they can corner you and get you to back down, they'll just keep at you. But if you and I will stand firm, God will stand with us. Now those people may not like us, but who knows? If they can't shake us, who knows? Maybe one day that seed sown will break them and they'll join us. You just never know. So come back number three is we need to attack our fears. We don't run from them. We don't hide. We face them. And in God's power and God's might, we deal with them. Amen? Yeah. All right. Prayer time here tonight. And uh, I did add, uh, uh, I had one to the pastor's section at the very last there. And uh, Tim Taylor went through uh, squamous carcinoma uh, cancer on his face. And he said he took a three-inch to get all the roots out of out of what it was there. So I, I talked with him briefly today for a few minutes and he said he was doing, he was at work doing fine, uh, doing well. I would use that as an excuse to just stay home, but <laughs> he's younger than I am anyway. But nonetheless, uh, I've added him on it. So be praying for my brother Tim Taylor's recent uh, surgery and uh, and as well others here. And I put on, uh, uh, to pray for Dory Groft, that is, uh, Steve's uh, cousin's family uh, is, uh, Mike is his first name, uh, has gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, 
as a, as a young man with a family. So be much in prayer for her and her family that God will become very, very real to them. Okay, let me see. I had uh, Doug as he faces this difficult time in his life. Um, uh, I know that he's going to have some really tough moments uh, for sure. And Martha, as I said, hospice believes that she may graduate home this weekend. So, again, be much in prayer. Uh, pray for the sermon. I, I was looking for, searching my heart, searching my mind for, for a message that I think would be befitting. And uh, Psalm 90 is a psalm that says that our days are basically numbered. And... Uh, and I'll let that be a lead into uh, Hebrews 9.27 and that portion of scripture there right into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So I'll be much in prayer that I'll be able to word that in a way that, because I know that there are some unsaved family members that need to hear the gospel and that are, that are not saved. And I know there's going to be some unsaved people that will be there as well. So be much in prayer for the, for the message when, you know, I'm constantly going through my mind and writing down notes as I go along. So it'll be there. And, uh, and it's always going to be a tough, tough, uh, tough time when you, when you have church members. That, as I was thinking that's one of the most, one of the more difficult parts of being a pastor is to long-term pastor, and that is to be with your people for so long. And when God takes them home to do their funerals for them, uh, because you become a part of their life, they become so, so much a part of your life. It's not it's not an easy time to do those kind of things here. So a lot of times I've had to have, ask other people to do the opening prayers and stuff like that, and then it leaves me free to be able to be somewhat unemotional about preaching the message along the way there. So again, be much in prayer. You, you, you get all the other information uh, as, we, as we know about it as it comes. And uh, I know that Reedy does not have a piano. So I kind of would rather they did it here, but uh, that's Doug's choice for whatever reason or someone's choice for up there. So, be that as it may, we'll, we'll see what happens, see what, uh, let's see what they've got planned. But we are going to have a meal here afterwards. So asking some of our ladies and uh, those who are our home viewers that uh, don't come out late at night, uh, if you'd be ready and willing, we'll get you a list when the time comes to prepare something for the, uh, the uh, meal following, the funeral services. We'd appreciate that so much. All right, so with that in mind here, group number one. You guys want group number one. We get you going here, and do and uh, Karen did uh, post a picture of uh, Brother Jim, and you know I just pray for them. Uh, both of them right now. They're just going through a whole bunch, a whole bunch of stuff, and it's not just one. It's one thing after another, on top of one thing or another. So it's not just one simple thing there. So, but uh, pray for them. Uh, pregnancies, and who can we get to pray for pregnancies here? Um, we're going to break this thing up here. Patty and uh, Isabel, if you guys would get together and pray for the pregnancies. Um, Jack and Chris, would you do uh, group number two? Yes. And then, uh, let me see, we've got spiritual needs and growth. Uh, Peg, would you get with, with uh, Chris Tardy? And you can handle that section there. Uh, salvations, uh, Diane and... Uh, uh, Carrie, if you do those there. And um, missionaries of the month there, Tammy and Rochelle, would you handle those? And I'm going to throw in pastors with health issues as your group as well. Diane. Um, Jesse and Lisa are traveling. 
Who is? Okay, Jesse and Lisa are are traveling. So you say they're leaving Friday evening? And they're going to be down here for Thanksgiving? Okay. Already. We can do that. All right.